ask for your spirit to guide us in your word, that you would speak to us, God, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and our soul, Lord, that we would hear from you, that we would recognize the living God wants to speak to us personally, that you've called us here for such a time as this to get something across to us, God, and it's easy for us to... um, get into the routine of coming to church on Sundays and and Wednesdays and even teaching on Sundays uh, and Wednesdays, but I pray this wouldn't be a routine thing, uh, God. Yes, something we do consistently because you call us not to forsake the assembly of the brethren, uh, but this would be our opportunity to to hear from you, one of our opportunities uh, throughout the week to hear uh, once again from the living God. So I pray that you would speak to us, God, and we would be receptive to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If you recall, uh, last couple chapters, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 26, building up to 1 Samuel chapter 28, we see David uh, basically challenged with the same test that he was uh, from 24, 25, and 26, similar test that God had for him, and ultimately it was to trust God, that God would avenge him, that God would put him in the place as king of Israel, and we see David pass that test in 1 Samuel chapter 26 if you recall once again he has his second chance to kill king saul this time his army is surrounding king saul they're sleeping god puts a deep sleep over the army over the soldiers david goes in with his buddy and he's able to take his water jug and his spear then david has this conversation with king saul and king saul promises never to come after david again which he doesn't but we see uh more likely the reason Saul doesn't come after David again is uh, told to us in 1 Samuel chapter 27, uh, because David does what? Just when we think David is on the right track, right? He passed this test. He's trusting God. Then he makes a wrong turn. He makes a foolish decision and he goes and dwells in the land of the Philistines and he leads his armies and and all their families with him to dwell in this pagan land to be surrounded by these idol worshipers. And we see David walking now by fear instead of by faith. It's almost like you get a little angry at David, like, David, what are you doing, man? You just passed this test. You proved to have so much faith. You proved to have faith that other people don't have your men wanted to kill Saul you knew God had your back then why don't you think he has your back now so David he flees he goes to the land of the Philistines we see after that Saul I'm not going to go chase him in the land of the Philistines and we see while David was in the land of the Philistines he started making some worse decisions right it started with dwelling in the land of the philistines then he basically started slaughtering different people groups and he wasn't doing this for the glory of god he was raiding these people groups the amalekites and other groups that yes they were enemies of god but david wasn't doing it for god he was doing it for his own selfish gain not only would he slaughter the men and the soldiers he slaughtered all of the people so that there wouldn't be any witnesses for uh, to, to basically tell King Achish, uh, one of the lords of the, lords of the Philistines, that David was out killing these other people groups. Because what would happen? We see in 1 Samuel chapter 27 that David would come back to Achish and he would tell him, hey, I've been slaughtering people from Israel. Right? He's lying to him. He's deceiving him. And we see this slippery slope that David's in. He puts himself in a horrific situation, right? If you look at the uh, beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 28, and that's where we ended last week, look at the position finally that David finds himself in. It says, verse 1, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together, reward to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely, you know that your what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. So now because of that bad decision, David made way back when a year and four months ago, approximately. Now he's in a situation where he's 
almost going to be forced to fight against his own people. Now, if David follows through with this and makes the decision to slaughter the Israelites, how could God justly put him in the position of king? It's likely that he would end up blowing his promise. So, as the suspense builds from the author, we want to know what does David do, right? How does he get out of this situation? And the author changes the story. He starts talking about Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3. He puts this story off of King David, and we don't get back to it till 1 Samuel chapter 29. Now, when you study the locations of these events, actually, the order chronologically that these events take place is 1 Samuel chapter 27 to chapter 28, verse 2. That goes right into chapter 29, verses 1 to 11. And then chapter 28 verses 3 to 25 actually goes after chapter 29 before chapter 30. Okay, I know that's a little bit confusing, but there's a reason why the author inspired by the spirit is doing this. Just when we think David is probably in the worst situation he's ever been as the author builds the suspense finishing out first Samuel. We look to Saul and see Saul is in a far worse situation than David. See, David might be in the land of his enemy, a land of people that worship idols, these pagan people. But Saul, as we'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 28, is cut off from God. See, there's worse things to happen to us than being in a bad place at a bad time. The worst position we could ever be in is being cut off from the Lord our God. And what we're going to see here in 1 Samuel, the rest of chapter 28, starting in verse 3, is that King Saul is going to make an attempt to appear spiritual. Okay, He's going to cast out the spiritists and the mediums out of the land. It's almost like this one last effort to gain God's favor. But shortly after he makes this decree, he's going to go seek a medium for advice. Saul truly is the king of hypocrisy. And that's the title of this teaching, The King of Hypocrisy. The king of hypocrisy. Now there, we could use many words to sum up the reign of Saul, but this absolutely would be one of them. And as we close out his reign in just a few chapters, in chapter 31, this is one of the last chapters that focuses on King Saul before he dies. Now, King Saul isn't just being a hypocrite in this passage based on what he does, and we'll obviously get into that, but he's made several attempts in the past to appear spiritual, right? He tried to be like a priest and provide sacrifices. He called a fast for the people when the people shouldn't be fasting. Remember, they started eating the animals live. There are many decisions that Saul made to appear spiritual, but they weren't spiritual. Why? Because they weren't rooted in a sincere relationship with God. We see Saul attempt to be spiritual, but we don't see any evidence that Saul had a true relationship with the living God. We're going to look at another one of these examples here in 1 Samuel chapter 28, picking it up in verse 3. It says, Now Samuel had died... And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Now, why is the author telling us that Samuel died? He already told us that back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1, if you want to write it down. Well, there's a specific reason, a couple reasons why the author is telling us this. First of all, we see now that Samuel's been gone, David's been gone, there's a severe lack of spirituality in the land, okay? Saul doesn't have spiritual counsel anymore. On top of it, it's really important based on what comes up in the text this medium is going to call samuel from the dead we'll get into all that in just a moment the author wants us to know samuel is dead at this point okay he's not alive so he reminds us that samuel is dead he also tells us saul 
put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Now, mediums and spiritists were people who sought spiritual guidance either through dead people or spirits or souls, you name it, okay? Uh, we see common forms of that even in today's uh, society. You see tarot cards, you see uh, um, psychics, you see different forms of this uh, going on even now today. And we can look at this and be like, dude, that person is just trying to make money off these people and yada, yada, yada. And that could be true in many occasions, but there is, uh, there is some truth to the effectiveness of some of these things. They're seeking the counsel of demons, and, and that's really what they're doing. And you think about Satan and all the knowledge that he has. He knows the word of God. He knows certain things that are going to come to pass. He's a very intellectual being. There is information that people get from other spirits, okay? But it's not from the spirit of God when they go about it this way. Why? Because God commanded way back in Leviticus that you weren't supposed to seek mediums. You weren't supposed to seek spirit and these people that seek other spiritual counsel other than the spiritual counsel from God. Why? Because it's confusing. It's confusing and it's frankly demonic. We're called to seek counsel from the Holy Spirit and avenues by which we can seek counsel from the Holy Spirit. Spiritual friends, spiritual leaders. There's a lot of different ways to, to do that. Friends, family. So Saul, he cast out all the mediums and the spiritists. Again, it's like he's trying to make one last effort to, to get back in good standing with God. Well, I know this is a law that was passed, uh, communicated back in Leviticus chapter 19. So if I do this, maybe God will accept me back. But once again, this isn't rooted in a sincere relationship or sincere love for God. It's like he's trying to earn that favor back. It's a workspace thing, if you will. Let's continue. First Samuel 28. Verse 4, then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped in Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So <clears throat> Saul recognizes that the army of the Philistines is gathered together against him and he's trembling we see this come up quite a bit with Saul there's moments in the beginning of his ministry where he's very courageous and he wipes out a lot of Philistines and how is he able to do that well the Holy Spirit would come upon him and he would like get fired up and he would take out some Philistines and we see he was a very effective commander of the Israeli army if you will but later on, we see the spirit depart from him and we see this character of fear come up more and more and more and more in King Saul. And we also see, and we've talked about in the past, Saul leads his people in fear. The reason Saul has fear is because he's lacking faith in God. And that's really where fear always comes from. If we have fear, it's because we're lacking faith. And I know we all have fears of different things, but any fear is really rooted in some mistrust with God. I don't believe you to take care of my children. I don't believe you to provide for me financially. I don't believe that you'll do this or that or the other. This thing is too big for you. That's all rooted in fear. It's saying, I'm not, tr I got, I trust God with this stuff, but I don't trust God here Saul doesn't trust God to provide for him to protect him but at this point for Saul he shouldn't because he hasn't had a relationship with God from the beginning see this come up again first Samuel chapter 28 verse 6 and when Saul inquired of the Lord the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets so Saul inquires, bless you, inquires of the Lord, right? He's seeking God. But why is he seeking God? You look back at the last verse. 
Because he's afraid of the Philistines. Saul, this is his pattern. I get myself in a mess. Something bad's going to happen. So now I'm going to seek God. I'm seeking God because I want him to get me out of my situation. I'm not seeking God in sincerity. I'm not seeking God because I love God and I want to be in fellowship with God. I'm seeking God to bail me out once again. He doesn't look as, at God as if he's his heavenly father. He looks as God at God as if he's this cosmic genie, right? I'm just going to ask God when I'm in trouble to bail me out. And that's the type of relationship we see that Saul has with God. It's not a real relationship. Yes, he's praying. He's praying. But this prayer is not rooted in love. It's rooted in need. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray when we're in need. But if we're only praying when we're in need, what does that say about our relationship? Imagine, and you might have friends that do this, or you used to, that they only come to you when they need something, right? They only come to you when they need something. Maybe uh, they, they come to you to borrow money or maybe you, uh, you can do this, that, and the other. They, they only come to you for this certain thing, but they don't come to you on a regular basis. What does that tell you? You're using me, right? Saul is attempting to use God and God simply won't have it. The Lord, it says, did not answer him. Why would God listen to Saul if Saul wouldn't listen to God? Think about it. God had give, given Saul direction on many occasions, whether it was directly through Samuel or one of the priests. Sometimes, obviously, he knows what the word of God says and there's direction there. Yeah, only the priests are supposed to provide sacrifices. And what did Saul do? He didn't listen to God's word. He took matters into his own hand. He says, God's word doesn't apply to me. I'm the king. I have the authority. I'm going to provide the sacrifices. God tells me to, to take out all the Amalekites. I'll take out most of them, but I'm going to keep these other ones because I, 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 want, I want the king as kind of like a trophy. So I'm going to keep King Agag as a trophy. I know you said all the Amalekites, but, you know, all some. It's basically the same thing in God's eyes, right? Obviously not. In that same scenario, 1 Samuel chapter 15 I'm referring to, he also takes the the plunder and the sheep and all the best things from the Amalekites in that setting. He didn't do what God told him to do. So why would God do what Saul wants him to do if Saul won't do what God's been asking him to do since the beginning of his reign? Sometimes we ask God to do what we want him to do when we're not willing to do what he wants us to do. And yes, that's a sad reality about Saul, but it's also a sad and sometimes true reality in our lives. God, will you do this for me? Will you answer this prayer? Will you come through in this way? And God's going, yeah, will you meet me in the middle? Like, uh, will you do some of the things that I'm asking you to do? How about you do some things that I'm asking you? I'll do some things that you're asking me to do. And then we can call that a relationship because that's what a relationship is. We meet somewhere in the middle. I give a little, he gets a little, gives a little. And, and now there's... There's, there's fellowship here, but if it's all God and I'm just like, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, do, 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 do. And I'm not doing the stuff he's asking me to do. How can I call that a relationship? That again is the relationship that we see that Saul has with God. This is what I want you to do, but I won't do what you want me to do. That's a sad and devastating place to be. First Samuel chapter 28, verse seven. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. This woman was known as the witch of Endor. She was known as obviously a medium and one who sought spirits to, to get answers. So Saul, after... He told the people, you can't seek mediums and spiritists anymore. We're going to cast them out of the land. What do we see him doing? He's seeking an answer from a medium. Point number one, hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another, right? That's exactly what Saul is doing. I'm going to tell everybody that they can't do this. In fact, I'm going to cast these people out of the land and then I'm going to do exactly what I told people not to do. 
We all know that. Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, addresses the primary hypocrites of the day, being the Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 23. And he says in verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. He's saying, do what they say, but don't do what they do. They're speaking truth, but they're not living by the truth. They lay heavy burdens, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, but they themselves will not do it. This is an example of hypocrisy, and we can all fall into it on some level. I say one thing, I do another. Elizabeth, my wife. I tell her when she uses my car, put the keys on our little coat rack so I know where they are. So if I'm rushing around and I have to leave, I know where my keys are. Okay, put my wallet. There's two spots that I keep my wallet, either in my backpack or in my center console. If you need to grab my wallet, grab money, whatever, that's fine. Just put it back where it is. And I get upset when it's not there. And then I borrow her car. And where do I leave the keys? I don't know. Wherever I put them, right? On the table, on the, on the dresser, wherever it is. Hey, where are my keys? Aren't they supposed to be on the rack? Oh, you hypocrite. You told her and you got upset because she didn't do this, but you did the same thing. The point is, sometimes it can be little things and we got to catch even those little things because those little things can lead to bigger things. The point is, hypocrisy is saying one thing, holding someone to a certain standard, and then you don't keep that standard. So how do we battle hypocrisy? We see it through Jesus. It's this phrase or term called moral authority. Okay, That's how we battle hypocrisy. It's moral authority. It's saying what you're going to do and then following through and doing it. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches us. And the people, the multitudes marveled because of the the authority by which Jesus spoke. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees. What he said he actually did. He says, I'm going to teach you about this and then I'm going to show you how to do it. It comes down to really thinking about the words that we're saying, then purposing to follow through that the standard that we're setting for ourselves. Saul, obviously, falls short of this. 1 Samuel 28, verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, And they came to the woman by night and he said, please conduct the seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So when does he go to this woman at night? Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to see him. What else do we see? He's wearing a disguise. It's point number two. Hypocrisy is wearing a disguise. Hypocrisy is wearing a disguise or you could say wearing a mask. That's actually what the original phrase means, wearing a mask. You ever pretend to be something that you're not? Do you ever pretend to be better than you actually are? I was talking to Matthew about this earlier today, but it's so true. You get those stories specifically with males, less with females, but they say, man, I was so good at this sport in high school. Like I was so good at this sport. I would have made pro if my coach would have played me more often, right? He didn't see my talent, but I was so good. I would have gone places or whatever the reason is. Hey, this happened or this happened. And I would have been something great in this. And what are you doing there? Who cares what you did in high school? Like, who cares what you were in high school? And I know sometimes we talk about that stuff and it's okay so we can relate to each other. But but what we're trying to do is 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 make ourselves look better typically than we actually are. On a more serious, serious note. Do you ever try to portray like you're a better Christian than you actually are? How often do you tell people, oh, I'll pray for you. I'm praying for you, right? I'm praying for you. And how often does it happen? Hopefully it happens all the time. But I know there's certain times when people say, oh, yeah, I'm praying for you. And it's like, are you really praying for me? 
And I try to be very cautious of that. If I tell someone I'm going to pray for them, I try to pray for them on the spot. Okay, if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, let's pray right now. Okay, I don't want to walk away and forget. And I just told you I'm going to do something and I'm not actually going to do it. But sometimes we say these little things because we want people to think that we're spiritually minded. It could be little things like this, too. Uh, so I was watching this TV show. And then I have to explain, I don't watch TV very much because I'm a good Christian, right? I spend more time in my Bible and in prayer. But I was watching this TV show, which rarely ever happens, and this happened. There's this thing in us that tries to put this mask over our face, this display as if we're something that we're not. Why do we do this? Well, a lot of it comes down to insecurity, I don't want people to see me for who I really am. If they saw me for who I really was, what would they think about me? I need to cover up my identity because if they knew the real me, they may not like me. They may not want to be friends with me. They may not want to hang out with me. How will they react if they find out who the real me is? Well, let me tell you something. If you're hanging out with people and you're worried how they're going to react or respond when they find out who the real you is, they're not going to be good friends anyways. You can just leave those ones behind and, and find new ones. Because the best friends we'll have accept us for who we are. And not that, hey, if we're in sin or we're messing up or we're doing this or that, they don't correct us and we, they confront us. That should happen. But we shouldn't feel like we have to appear like something, that we have to win their favor. Because especially as Christians, this is such a dangerous place to be. Paul notes this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. In Galatians 1, 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would no longer be a bondservant of Christ. Look at the magnitude there. He says, if I was still trying to please men, I couldn't call myself a slave to Jesus. So if my motivation is to appear a certain way in front of people, then I'm doing the opposite of pleasing Jesus. In fact, I'm displeasing Jesus. I can't call myself a bondservant of Christ if I'm worried about what everybody else thinks about me i have to be focused on what christ thinks about me i got to be true to who i am i have to be sincere i have to be transparent i have to be okay with people knowing the real me the good the bad and the ugly see paul uh sorry saul he comes to this woman at night wearing a disguise he doesn't want her to know who the real him is. First Samuel chapter 28. Verse 9. Then the woman said to him. Look you know what Saul has done. How he has cast off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. When then do you lay a, why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? So she doesn't know it's Saul yet. She asks him, wait a minute, why are you coming to me for this service? You already know that Saul, even though she's talking to Saul, doesn't realize it, said that we can't do this anymore. Saul's hypocrisy is a snare for this woman. His hypocrisy is leading her into sin. That's point number three. Point number three, hypocrisy causes others to stumble. Hypocrisy causes others to stumble. Saul is leading this woman into sin by trying to persuade her to give him a service that he's already outlawed. And not just the fact that he's outlawed it, God outlawed it way back in the Torah. There are serious consequences for causing God's people to stumble. But we also see in Romans chapter 14, not saying that the Spiritus is one of God's people, okay? Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Don't put a stumbling block in someone else's way. And when we walk in hypocrisy, that's what we're doing. When we walk in hypocrisy, when we say one thing and do another, when we pretend to be something that we aren't, we are always 
at least tempting others to stumble. Because it's like this. You hear me say something from the pulpit or I say something in a conversation. And then you see me doing the opposite thing. What I'm teaching you is it's okay to say one thing and do another. Just because I say it doesn't mean that we really have to do it. That is hypocrisy. And when we call cause other people to trip up, to stumble because of our hypocrisy, the Lord takes that seriously. Whatever we do, whatever we say, is always setting an example, whether good or bad. We choose what kind of example that we set. We either build people up or tear people down. When we walk in hypocrisy, it always tears people down. First Samuel chapter 28, verse 10. And Saul swore to her by the, by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Look what Saul does. He swears by the name of Yahweh. Saul has sworn by the name of Yahweh in the past and broken his promises. When Saul swears by the name of Yahweh, it means absolutely nothing. If someone swears to God, if they feel the need to swear to God, don't believe anything they say, okay? Just don't believe them. Why? If someone feels the need to swear to God, first of all, it means, wait a minute, what about all the other things that you say when you don't swear to God? Maybe all of those are lies, so I don't know what to believe. Uh, These things when you don't swear to God, or these things when you do swear to God, and if you truly have a relationship with God, you know you shouldn't be swearing to God. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than these, you add, I promise, I swear, anything more than that is of the evil one. If people can't trust your yes and your no, then there's a problem right there. You're a deceiver, you're a liar, and you need to win trust back. But you're not going to win trust back by adding words to your promises. You're going to win trust back by following through with your promises. Letting your yes be yes. Proving your yes is a yes. Proving your no is a no. Proving that you're a man or woman that keeps their word if anyone swears to god that's typically like a red flag like (laughs) they likely don't know the lord okay if they're swearing to god what god are you swearing to because it's not the same god that we're talking about here and if it is you don't know him very well because he tells us not to do that let your yes be yes and your no be no and look what else saul says to her He says, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. This is sin. How can Saul say that no punishment will come upon her? Yes, maybe no punishment will come upon her from him because he's King Saul, but he can't promise her there's not going to be a punishment for her sin unless she repents. There absolutely will be a punishment for her sin. The wages of sin is death unless we repent. And accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Even in this, Saul is leading this woman astray. That sin's not too bad. Go ahead and do it. It's okay. It's just between you and I. There will be no punishment for this. Nothing bad will happen. If you're getting ready to sin or like you have a friend that's like tempting you to sin and they say nothing bad will happen, you know what they're talking about is like nothing bad will happen right now. But you don't know what's going to happen down the road. Nothing bad will happen between uh between us and this circumstance, but you don't know what God's going to do with that. You don't know if God's going to use that as a form of discipline later in your life. You have no idea. We can't say this. No punishment will come upon you for this thing. 1 Samuel 28, verse 11. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Samuel was the one, if you remember, that would give Saul direction, right? He was the prophet. He was the judge. He was the one that anointed King Saul. Samuel was Saul's spiritual God, he was Saul's mentor, at least for a time period, but now he's dead. So Saul is going to go to the spiritist to raise up Samuel. Now think about this. Saul's closest connection to God is through a dead guy, okay? Saul's closest connection, the closest I can get to God, is through somebody that's already dead. This reveals where Saul is at spiritually. 
he's just as dead spiritually as Samuel is physically. He's spiritually dead. He's trying to seek God through a dead person. This shows the despair and the depth of despair that Saul's currently in. We also remember that Saul had all the priests slaughtered as well, if you recall. Because David went to Himelech and then Saul found out and Doeg told him and then he had all the, the, the priests killed. So literally, Saul has ruined every relationship in his life, relationships that could provide for him spiritual guidance and spiritual counsel. He's cut it off completely and then he kicks David out. He's done this to himself. He put himself in this situation. He has no hope for gaining spiritual counsel in this world, so he has to go to the land of the dead in hopes to gain some type of spiritual guidance. Goes on, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Says the woman saw Samuel. We can't be sure... Why this woman knew that it was Samuel. Samuel could have said something like, I'm Samuel. Maybe she recognized him. She saw him in the past. Or maybe she had some type of spiritual, um, like a moment of a gift of spiritual knowledge or understanding or something like that. And she just knew it was Samuel. So she cries out. She cries out as if this was unexpected. Okay. What does this tell us? Well, we're not quite sure. Could be really probably one of two things. Either she was a fake, she was a phony, she wasn't like an actual medium, she was just tricking people, you know how some do, and the fact that a spirit came up just shocked her, surprised her, like, wow, it actually worked this time. Either that, or she was used to raising up demonic spirits, and now there's this man that's connected to the Holy Spirit, and the holiness that Samuel was connected to, that might have freaked her out a little bit too. We can't be sure. She cried out though, because something shocked her, okay? Whether it was the spirit connected to Samuel, or the fact that even anything happened. So, it goes on, she says, Why have you deceived me, for you are Saul? How do we know? How did she know that it was Saul at this point? Uh, we can't be sure about that either. Maybe she realized, oh, only Saul would be seeking for Samuel. Or maybe she had another uh, little gift of spiritual knowledge. Regardless, one thing we do know is that Saul's deception and hypocrisy was exposed. Okay, and that's point number four. Hypocrisy will be exposed. Hypocrisy will be exposed. Saul was exposed. See, our hypocrisy will be found out eventually. We might be able to fool people for a period of time, but we're not fooling God. Okay, And God tells us, if you would with me, in Luke chapter 8, in Luke chapter 8, Verse 17 says this, it's Jesus speaking, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. All things will be revealed. All things will be exposed. We know the day that we meet the Lord, whether he comes back or we die, yes, all things will be exposed. But often that takes place in our lives presently. The Lord exposes us when there's areas of darkness in our life. The Lord brings them to the light. Why? Because he is light. He's the light of the world. We're called children of light. So when we walk in darkness, it says the Lord says, no, 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 you're going the wrong way. If you keep going this way, I'm I'm going to bring the darkness to the light because you're my child and I love you and I want to expose you so we can start working on these things. And that's exactly why God exposes us. He exposes our hypocrisy. He exposes the things we do in the hidden place because he loves us. You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. Saul has pretended to be something that he's not. He's wearing the disguise. He's coming in the dark. But his true identity is revealed. Our true identity will be revealed. 1 Samuel chapter 28, 
verse 13. <laughs> and the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. So this woman says that she sees a spirit ascending out of the earth. If you have this little um, note on the bottom of your Bible, it says in the Hebrew that this is Elohim. Okay, Elohim. This is a name for God. And the reason New King James uh, translates that to spirit because it's a more accurate translation of what this woman's trying to communicate. Okay, Elohim is a name for God. It's actually a plural name for God. And we see it uh, throughout the Old Testament. It's actually, when you study it, it's evidence of the Trinity in the Old Testament. It's a plural. Wait, one God with a plural name. How does that make sense? Okay, Trinity, right? But this word Elohim, it, it technically means gods, okay? It means gods, all right? So she, uh, New King James is using the word spirit because this woman isn't saying, I saw God. I'm seeing God like I saw Yahweh. She's saying like, I'm seeing a God, like a little God. That's why the New King James translates it to spirit, okay? The actual word, it would be, I saw a little G God would technically be, you know, okay, in case... You were curious about that. Anyways, so this woman sees a God. Remember, she is a, a, a pagan. So she believes in, in many gods. What do they see? Well, it's Samuel. He said to her, what is his form? Verse 14, and she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. So Samuel was visible to both the woman and to Saul. They visibly saw him. This wasn't like a dream. This wasn't a vision. They actually saw Samuel. The bigger question is, is was this really Samuel? Okay, was this actually Samuel? Okay, there's two main theories about this. Some suggest that this was a demonic spirit that was raised from the grave, if you will. And this demonic spirit just deceived uh, uh, deceived Saul and the woman into convincing them that he was Samuel. But when you really look at that and see what happens later in the text, uh, I find it a little hard to believe. Uh, because what would the motivation be behind um, this demon and what he says? What the demon says, if it's a demon, this stuff actually happens. Okay, It actually comes true. There's truth being spoken. So it doesn't seem like there would be really any motivation for a demon to do this okay if we if he was leading him astray that'd be one thing the other argument is that this actually was samuel and this is what i believe i believe this absolutely was samuel why because when we look at the stuff that samuel says here it's right along the lines of things that samuel has already said to king saul like correlates completely also the scripture says it was Samuel, okay? In the next verse, it's going to say, Samuel said. Now, I don't care who the demon is deceiving, whether he's, if it is a, de a, a demon deceiving Saul or this woman, the demon isn't deceiving the Holy Spirit, okay? And the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit says, Samuel said. It doesn't say a demon pretending to be Samuel said. It says, Samuel said this. Point, if you haven't gotten it yet, is that I believe this is Samuel, okay? Now, one thing that comes up is people say, wait a minute, I thought uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and, and that's true. Our soul spirits go to be with the Lord when we die. But we see on rare occasions, God send messengers back, people that were dead. We see it in Matthew chapter 17, right? Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Peter, uh, James, uh, and John, they see this conversation that Moses and Elijah have with Jesus. Okay, they're dead, but they, they see them. So there are occasions that God does this. But how could the medium call a saint from the dead? I don't believe she did. I believe that all of this was orchestrated by God. 
that Yahweh used Saul's pursuit to bring Samuel in this final message of judgment to him. I don't think that a medium or a spiritist can just go calling God's people away. Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. So, he used it, we see, and Samuel comes on the scene, but I absolutely don't believe this was because of the power of the medium. Remember, the medium was in shock. She was afraid that Samuel actually came up. I believe this was the power of God demonstrated that God was sending Samuel back once again to give Saul this final message that he's cut off and he's cut off for good. Now, God also could have been doing this uh, to benefit the woman. Hopefully he scared her to repentance, right? (laughs) Don't be doing this thing anymore because there is one true living God. And if you continue doing this, uh, well, we know what will happen to the end of her in that case. Moving on. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 15. We'll get through the end quick. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Samuel, rightfully so, says, why have you disturbed me? Now, some people use this verse and others to make this argument about soul sleep. We just go to sleep when we die until um, the rapture happens. It's not biblical. You can't support it biblically. Uh, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's a lot of scriptures that... um, that you can use to argue against soul sleep. But we do see that there is this place that Jesus communicates as to where the dead were held before the resurrection. We can't get too far into this, but in Luke chapter 16, Jesus speaks of this place referred to as Abraham's bosom. Okay, It's a place of comfort where the saints of old were held. Okay, You have Sheol, the place of the dead, and it's split in two parts. I don't know if one's bigger than the other. Bible doesn't say. But you have two parts. There's a chasm in the middle the saints of old would be held in abraham's bosom and the other people that were not saved that didn't accept the lord and have relationship with him in the old testament or before the resurrection they're in a place of torment okay and we see lazarus in abraham's bosom we see the rich man he is in this place of torment so samuel is in Abraham's bosom a place of comfort? He's in this place of comfort. Now he has to have this conversation with this fallen king. Yeah, he'd rather be in Abraham's bosom, if you will. That's why he's saying, why have you disturbed me? And Saul says, well, God has departed from me. Samuel's like, dude, and he'll get into this. I told you that back when I was living, that God would depart from you. We see that way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God had already departed from you. This shouldn't be new news to King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Verse 16. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Why are you asking me? I can't help you. If God has departed from you and has become your enemy, there's nothing I can do for you. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to to your neighbor David. This, again, was something that was already communicated. Samuel's saying that. I already told you this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that the kingdom has been torn from you and given to someone who's better than you. Later on, we see that that someone who was better was David. Moving on. 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. I lost my place there for a second. So... We see that Samuel's given him another prophecy. Basically, he already told him, okay, the Lord has departed from you, but in his dead form, whatever, he's communicating further details. He says, tomorrow, this is what's going to happen to you. You and your sons are going to die. He also says, tomorrow, you'll be with me. Okay, this is cause for a lot of controversy. Does this mean that King Saul went to 
Abraham's bosom. Or later on when Jesus resurrected, he went to heaven. I don't believe that to be true. Okay, I don't believe that Saul went to heaven. This is my personal opinion. We can talk about it later if you would like. When we look at Luke chapter 16, we see Abraham's bosom and the place of torment. They're right next to each other where you can see from one side to the other. So I believe what Samuel is saying is we're going to the same general location. I'll be here and you'll be here. okay? And there will be a chasm between us. There is no indication once again that Saul had any type of relationship with the Lord. And if a relationship with the Lord is what saves you ultimately, Old Testament relationship with Jesus, believing the gospel. New Testament, then, then how could Saul go to heaven? Regardless, look at what Samuel tells him. He says, you're going to die and your sons are going with you. And this is the final point. Fifth point, hypocrisy has consequences. Hypocrisy has consequences. We see all of Saul's mistakes, his shortcomings, his attempts to be spiritual, All of these decisions that he has made in the past, he's finally getting consequences for it. He'll end up dying in chapter 31 along with his sons. See, once again, I believe Saul's consequence was worse than death. I believe Saul's consequence was worse than even seeing his sons die. I believe Saul had an eternal consequence. And why do I believe that? Well, the Lord, he made it very clear that he cut him off. If he cut him off in the land of the living, why wouldn't he cut him off in the land after that? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, we're almost done. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Saul prophesied in the name of the Lord. He called him Lord. Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. When you look at this, it doesn't just apply to Saul. But it applies to, 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 to people that believe that they're Christians. And I hope there isn't anybody like that in this church. But it's one of the most terrifying passages you could ever read. You call me Lord, but you don't treat me like your Lord. You don't do what I'm asking you to do. There's a lack of relationship. You treat me like Saul treated me. You come to me when you need things. You put on the mask. You pretend to be something. You say other things. You don't do the things that you're saying. It's hypocrisy. Saul lived his life as a hypocrite. And soon he's going to face consequences. Now Saul, he asked Samuel, what should I do, in other words? And Samuel essentially said, there's nothing left for you to do. You're past that point. You're past the place of repentance. There's no more room for repentance in your heart. And we'll get into this, I think, next week. There is a place of no return. Okay, it's not that God won't forgive us. It's because of our hearts personally. They've hardened to a place where there's no turning back. We'll get into it next week in further detail. This is where... Saul's at today. The next day, he'll die and his sons along with him. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 20. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. Think about this. He knows the weight of this. I believe he knows he's not just dying, okay? He knows that God has cut him off permanently. So he's afraid. He should be afraid. God has cut me off from relationship and I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to die tomorrow and I'm not in right relationship with God. How terrifying would that be? That's got to be the scariest news you've ever heard in your life. Okay, yeah, the Philistines are after me, but above that, I'm going to die and I'm not right with God? That is horrifying so Saul 
He falls on his face. He, he, he can't even eat. He's sick to his stomach. Now, one of the reasons the author put this in here, remember, David's in a bad situation too, right? He's in the land of the Philistines. He's with the Philistines getting ready to battle Saul with the Israelites. We'll see what happens next week with that. But the point is, there's worse scenarios that we can get ourselves into. There's worse scenarios, as I mentioned in the beginning, than being in the wrong place at the wrong time, around the wrong type of people. There's worse scenarios than going through hardships. There's worse scenarios than losing people. There's worse than scenarios than, than losing jobs. There's worse scenarios than being in financial turmoil. The worst case scenario is us being completely cut off from God. From us getting to a point of no return that the relationship, it just isn't there. We thought it was something that it actually wasn't. This is where Saul is at. Now, I don't believe Saul actually thought he had a sincere relationship with God. But this is the absolute worst news anyone could ever hear. You're going to die and you're not right with the Lord. He goes on 1 Samuel chapter. 21 last few verses and the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him look your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I've put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me now therefore please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way but he refused and said I will not eat So his servants, together with the woman, urged him and heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. The only comfort Saul can gain in this moment is from a witch, literally. This is the darkness and the depth of darkness that Saul got himself into. He has no more spiritual surroundings. The witch is the one that's trying to provide food for him, to trying to make his last hours joyful. Now, when you look at Saul's Last Supper, you can't help but think about the Lord's Last Supper, right? Jesus knew he was going to die in less than 24 hours, and he knew the way he was going to die, right? And how did he go out? He went out with joy. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What do we see with Saul? We see sadness. With Saul, we see he's full of fear. With Jesus, we see he's full of courage and he's full of faith. Just before Saul was going to die, he sought a witch. Who did Jesus seek in the Garden of Gethsemane? He sought his heavenly father Saul resisted his destiny he didn't want to move forward he didn't want to eat Jesus he embraced it he embraced the cross and there's so many other connections there but we'll end here then they rose and went away that night Saul went away with a lower morale than what he came with now he knows for certain what's going to happen he's going to die and he's been cut off from the Lord Had he not practiced hypocrisy and done what he did, okay, going and seeking this medium, at least he could live his last 24 hours in ignorance, right? I would rather not know, okay? There's nothing he can do at this point. He's going to die no matter what. But think about knowing you're going to die and you're not right with the Lord. I can't even imagine what this would be like. But because of his hypocrisy, he brought himself to a worse mental situation. He brought more turmoil upon him. Himself, and that's what hypocrisy always does. It will always lead us walking away worse off than when we began. So what happens to Saul? He's in a worse situation now. Now he's aware of these horrific things that are going to happen to him. As we see King Saul, it's such a warning sign. It's such so many red flags. But the Lord has this text in here for a reason. It's a warning for us. Not to be hypocrites, to be true to who God has called us to be, to be confident in our identity in Him, to do what we say and say what we do, to not wear a disguise, to not wear a mask. When we see the final outcome of this man, King Saul, such promise in the beginning, 
He, he had everything. The Lord was there for him. The Lord gave him the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come upon him in power. But he got caught up in this lifestyle of hypocrisy. He was pretending to be something that he wasn't. Pretending to be a spiritual leader. Pretending to have a relationship with God. But it was all fake. He was trying to be strong. Doing things on his own. Instead of admitting his weakness. It's better to be real. And admit that you're broken. Than fake and pretend like you're not. Had, had Saul sought the Lord diligently. With sincere brokenness early on. I think we'd be reading a different passage right now. But sadly that's not what happened. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all the examples that you give us in your word. And I, and I know passages like this are not very uplifting. God, it's, it's tough. It's dark. Um, it's, uh, it's a warning for us. We know that, Lord. And, and I pray that, God, we, we wouldn't walk in hypocrisy, Lord, whether it be small situations or large situations, God, that we would be uh, true to who you've called us to be, God, that we would be real, that as we're struggling with different issues, we would open up, we wouldn't pretend like everything's good and everything's okay when it's not. God, we know this, this world is hard. You promised there'll be tribulations. We know there's struggles that we all have. And I pray, God, that we would choose to be in that place of brokenness and transparency before your feet and not pretend like everything's okay once again when, when everything may not be okay. Lord, so help us learn from, from King Saul and, and, and what not to do, God, and how not to be. Lord, please give us the power of your spirit and the faith to walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.